Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla, and I'm here with my friend Kristen. Hello. Trying to be a good person can be overwhelming in our complex global marketplace. In this podcast, we try to make it a little easier by looking at the details behind consumer movements, product labels, and ethical lifestyles. Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption. Then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. This episode is going to be a little bit different because it's my turn to do one. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> We're working with our friends from Potential Spoilers to do a fun crossover episode. We're giving Kristen a bit of a research break, and honestly, I was emotionally exhausted after the clothing episode, so maybe we'll have like a Rick and Morty-style deal where every 10th episode <laughs> I get to run it. Love it. (laughs) So we're going to take a broad look at the film industry, but since I was in charge, it will not be as thorough as Kristen's usually is, and hopefully it will be less depressing. Although, based on the research (laughs) I did, it's still going to be hecka sad. So let me introduce Kieran and Maddie D from Potential Spoilers, a show where two blokes from Australia try to guess the plot of upcoming movies. Hey, lads. Hello. Hello. Are we allowed to speak now? (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is your turn. <laughs> hey. hey, thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yes, thanks. Did very I introduce much for you all us. right? Does that uh, sum up your show? It was lovely. It was lovely. <laughs> yep, yes. that's us. That's what we do on our show. <laughs> we're, we're two blokes. <laughs> <laughs> I have listened to every episode, so if anyone wants to check out your show, oh, they should you. check thanks. out the Cool Runnings episode. That's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kieran went a little bit crazy in that one. Uh, I remember. <laughs> And I think we've also listened to every episode yeah. of your show as well. Yeah, so. we've been um, we've been fans since Milk. Yes, um, <laughs> we've big fans of big fans of your show. Big fans loved it. Thanks, Seen guys. Every or listened to every episode so far. Just getting through my sugar episode now, but big fans. You guys do a good show. I'm up to the same point, so I'm not quite oh, up man. to date, but I'm getting there. You guys are so. I mean, there's about a million episodes of your show, so I don't know if it's the same that I've listened to. But I'll take it. Thank you. (laughs) So first, we're going to talk about all of the horrible things I found about the film industry and Hollywood in general, but in light detail because, oh, it turns out there's a lot. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah. So I want to start with a fun fact. Last year, Disney ticket sales accounted for 38% of box office revenue. Warner Brothers was next at nearly 14%, so together, two studios were raking in over 50% of total domestic box office takings in the United States. Welcome to Pullback, the show that makes everyone sad all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys know that? No, I did not. No, no. Well, I I probably could guess the Disney aspect of it, but yeah, I had no real idea of the I mean, they're a juggernaut now. Yeah, so it's like a monopoly, which is cool. And yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna judge anyone. I'm pretty sure most of the movies I saw last year were produced by Disney. So you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah, they own Star Wars now, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they own Star Wars. <laughs> Good job, Kristen. <laughs> yeah, movie fact. <laughs> she just high fived herself because we're in different rooms, and I couldn't high five her. Uh, sorry, buddy. I don't want to leave you hanging. <laughs> So yeah, I wanted to point this out because numbers like this are part of what makes change in the industry so difficult. If there's Mm. no competition, Mm. there's really no reason for them to be better. You know what I mean? So why does Hollywood need to change? I have three major problems in the industry that I'm going to touch on, and we're going to keep each of them as brief as possible because honestly, each topic could use its own episode, if not its own podcast. And we're going to be looking specifically at Hollywood. Uh, Different countries will all have different problems, but I feel like a lot of these issues are global. 
These areas of improvement are gender and racial disparity in front of and behind the camera, environmental impact, and labor rights with a focus on animal welfare and child actors, although I know some grown actors who might have something to say about labor rights too. Actually, Matt, you're an actor, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I do. I do a bit of the acting. What are the labor rights like in Australia? Look, um... <laughs> <laughs> just a disclaimer, Matty D's not a film actor. <laughs> He's trying to be. Yeah, I'm trying to be. Uh, look, for the most part, it is okay, but like, I've met a lot of people that like have been very wary and it's very uh, it's very easy to be screwed over financially and like um and whatnot so it's it's an industry where there's a lot of trepidation and um it's just a known fact that you've got to be very very careful because you know you've got to look out for yourself because you can't really trust anybody but you know they got unions coming like they got unions and stuff that sort of look after you but i would say overall matt's not, not a part of one of those not unions. fantastic <laughs> not fantastic <laughs> I spoke to a woman who um, did a commercial and she was essentially lied to and they used her image. Um, I know it's not related to film, but she got underpaid for that and they're kind of using her image in her in their advertisement and, and she's not getting compensated for that like appropriately. So stuff like that happens all the time if people kind of don't really know what's going on and it's very easy for that to happen. Well, and I guess now that they can like, um, they can like generate images of people that have died... Um, yeah. yeah, that's, I don't know. <laughs> Bojack Horseman leads me to believe that that's going to be a labor problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Bojack. Well, that's interesting because the Irishman came out and it was all, it was all, um, CGI. Yeah, CGI. So what's well, the they movie going to be later? All of them were alive. <laughs> true. But you true. mentioned, you mentioned Star Wars before and they, of course, they love bringing back people from the dead. Yeah. Carrie Fisher in, in several movies, uh, Peter yeah. Cushing as well. Well, isn't that the most ethical way to approach it if there's no actors? If everyone's CGI, then how can you abuse actors or animals <laughs> or <laughs> children or anything? Yeah, there's actually like there's like a movie starring Robin Wright. I forget the name of it, but I'll tweet it out. And it's like this really weird sci-fi movie. And that's the whole basis of the plot is that they use her image um, to cast movies. And she's basically eternally young. And it's super weird. But it's really fun if you are super stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Half the movie is a cartoon. It's one of those. <laughs> Well, uh, since weed is illegal in Australia, we'd have no idea what that experience is like. Oh, yeah. In Canada, I can actually say stuff like this on the podcast now. <laughs> That's where this is being published. Australian feds, get off my case. Okay. So I want to start by talking about the gender and racial disparity in front of and behind the camera. You guys can feel free to jump in if I say anything interesting that you maybe know about. I know Kieran in particular is like really well versed in Hollywood like lore. So I'm super interested to see what you guys have to say about any of this, but I'm, I'm a casual expert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start by plugging uh, another podcast actually that I've actually, I've told Matt to listen to a few times. Yeah. I don't think he has, uh, but it's a really good podcast called the Bechdel cast. If people want to listen to like a feminist take on popular movies, they do a really good job. So big fan of them. If you want to learn more about uh, gender and film, that's a really good place to start. So I'm guessing that goes back to the Bechdel test where the idea of that a movie has to pass the Bechdel test by having two women have a conversation, two named women, they have to have character names, but they both have to have a conversation that doesn't involve a man. Is that right? That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. How crazy is it that that's a trope as well? Like, yeah. how sad is that? Yeah. Well, and if you look at even the movies that came out last year, you'd be surprised how few of them pass. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested yeah. to see if 
Hollywood's getting better because I know they're kind of promoting the fact that they are, but I'm not too sure if the stats, I have the stats. back yes. that up, which I'm interested to see. <laughs> so let, let me know, yeah. Are you guys ready for these stats? They are, yeah. they are really Absolutely. upsetting. <laughs> so, Oh, is it? I can imagine. In September of 2019, the USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism's annual study, so they've been doing this since 2007, uh, looking at the inequality in popular films, found that... In the top 100 films of 2018, 33% of speaking roles were women, 12% had balanced casts, and 39 films out of 100 depicted a female lead or co-lead. Of those leads and co-leads, 11 were from underrepresented racial or ethnic groups, and 11 were 45 years or older. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's that doesn't really terrible. surprise me. That doesn't yeah. surprise me at all, though. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking about it when I was, like, just casually scrolling through the Oscar nominees and, like, just visually mm. the male, like, actors that are nominated look a lot older than the the females. Yeah. 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 It's the same as newscasters. You always have young female newscasters and older male newscasters. Something to do with mm. trust. Mm. I don't know. And what looks good on TV and, and in movies, I suppose. And they seem to make a big deal when a female is older. It's just like, look at this older actress, you know, but there's only like three of them running around at yeah. any, any given they time. They might be 49 or 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're 35. Yeah. Look at this old actress. Look at her. We pulled her out of the retirement home and she's back <laughs> on the big screen. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, actually, speaking of age, I have another fun fact from that same study. 13 to 20-year-olds were just as likely as 21 to 39-year-olds to be shown in sexy attire with some nudity and to be referenced as attractive. So that's gross. Jeez. Yeah. yeah that is. I'm also not surprised, though. <laughs> that's been going on since the birth of Hollywood, too, unfortunately. Much longer than that, even, I mean. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's absolutely true, but I'm thinking of Shirley Temple and her first works in the baby burlesques. I'm sure you guys know about those. I don't. Baby no, burlesque? what is a baby burlesque? <laughs> so, you can find these on YouTube. Uh, maybe not look them up if you don't want to... I don't know, be appalled by yeah. the treatment of <laughs> children it's, it's back not, in the 30s. But basically, thing. it was the idea was it was supposed to be funny, but they'd be putting babies and really young children in adult positions. So they'd have, for an example, uh, like a burlesque club with the, like, the sexy burlesque dancer who's a toddler performing and stripping for like little babies in the audience who yeah. are like the leering men. But then while this was all happening, like a lot of these guys were, you know, doing inappropriate things to these child actors yeah, as course. well. So then you know that in context with what they're kind of producing in the yes. film. So Shirley Temple definitely had a lot of horror stories from mm. when she was around three or younger yeah. with uh, producers of movies and directors and whatnot. But I'd rather not go into those. Yeah, yeah well, and I mean, I do have a child <laughs> section of this later, so <laughs> we can talk about it more there. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> in the same vein, uh, women are also three times as likely to be shown in a state of undress or to have a nude scene. So we're not being represented, and when we are, it's still as sexual objects. Since the study started in 2007, the percentage of white characters has decreased nearly 14%, but since the original number was 78%, that means nearly 64% of speaking characters are still white. Out of 4,387 speaking characters, only 58 were uh, from the LGBT community, and of those 58, nearly 64% were also white. 
The study found that only 1.6% of all speaking characters were depicted with a disability, and of those who were depicted, nearly Jeez. 73% were men. Behind the camera is even worse. Out of 1,135 content creators, only 293 were women. That's directors, producers, writers, and composers. There were five directors out of 112 that were women, and only one uh, was a woman of color. Oh, God. Three composers were women compared to 109 men Jeez. Yeah. So I'll share <laughs> that on our website. If you guys want to see, actually, the rest of that study is incredible. It's super long. I just picked out, like, my favorite stats. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's really depressing. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought yeah. the diversity problem in uh, Hollywood was fixed after Parasite One. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that only yeah, happened. Now a we month can ago. stop talking yeah. about it now. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no. Yeah, no. That's... <laughs> well, I don't know. That was for 2018. Maybe Parasite fixed everything. We'll have to check the study next year. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure nothing's changed. Yeah. yeah, to be honest. So I guess I guess the big takeaway is that like other people are not having a voice. That's being you know displayed. Yeah, and I'm going to get into why that sucks in a minute, but I'm also I, I also want to talk about like the pay disparity. Um, women get paid way less than men in the industry, but yeah, rather than like go down that rob rabbit hole, um, I'm going to share a bunch of links uh, for the curious because I think we all know that actresses do not make as much as male actresses, partly because the roles that they're getting or are often actors. not speaking. Yeah, oh, <laughs> actors, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they're just like, they're just not getting speaking roles. And then, yeah, when they do, they're being paid far less than their co-stars. So that sucks. Um, Did you find anything like, is there a pay disparity um, on like racial lines as well? Or I didn't find that, but I'm sure. You know what I mean? Mm, there must be. Yeah. I guess you don't have a lot of leading characters that are, you know, non-white or, you know, come from different sort of backgrounds. Like that's very rare. So you yeah. assume that. Well, how much money does Will Smith make a movie? I'm sure he makes a lot of money. Yeah, he's probably the <laughs> exception to the rule. Yeah, that's oh true. yeah, I think that there are probably outliers in every group. But if you're casting like mm. Mindy Kaling next to Keanu Reeves, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't know yeah. what that movie would be, but <laughs> I want to see it now. I I just picked two names out of my head, and now I wish that I could see that film. I hate to go against the example that you brought up, but one of the movies that I just thought of off the top of my head was what was it, Valentine's Day? Where, what was the movie actually? Was it Valentine's Day? Was that it was like Eve? a. There was yeah. one movie where Julia Roberts was the highest paid actor in the whole movie, and she was only in it for about five minutes. Oh, right. good for her! And everybody else in the movie just got significantly less. But yeah, I, I think that goes against your point. So yeah, maybe ignore that one. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I think it. I think it has something to do with the fact that like the bigger the name, the bigger the paycheck, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. the yeah. fact that men are getting most of the leading roles mean that they're going to have the bigger names more often than not. So yeah, we need more Julia Roberts. That we need. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember there was, uh, and I, I don't, I don't have the statistics, the statistics at all. But there was, um, they came out and said like the highest paid female actress at one stage, I think it was a few years ago, was only getting paid the equivalent of Adam Sandler's like paycheck. Oh, wow. That's an insult. <laughs> now, I, I don't have the facts to back that up, but I remember hearing something like that and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I saw some numbers of like the top five uh, actresses wages compared to like the top five men and it was it, honestly, um, I, I will share a lot of this on our website. I don't want to get too deep into it. I think we can all agree that because there's disparity, there's also pay disparity. Yeah. 
underpaying and underrepresenting women and minority groups in cinema is partially, I don't know, maybe you guys can weigh in on this, but I feel like there's this myth in Hollywood that different casting choices do badly at the box office despite the fact that movies starring white dudes fail all the time too, but when a movie starring someone else does badly, it's seen as because of the casting, not because the movie maybe just was bad which isn't always the case. I have some really good numbers that I'll share as well that show that often when you cast a, a diverse lead, the movie does really well. But I don't know. Well, Black yeah. Panther made a whole bunch of money. So mm. I feel like that's another outlier. <laughs> they made like a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's it did sort of like bust uh, like the notion that you couldn't have sort of like racially diverse uh, superhero movie that would do well at the box office. I hope it did bust, but also I don't see a lot of other movies being produced right now that, I don't know, you guys are the ones who do upcoming movies, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's not really it. anything that's followed the Black Panther. Because that came out in 2017, didn't didn't it? Like, like it's, 2017, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like three years ago, it made a yeah. billion dollars, and I can't think of too many other movies that have come out mm. since that have really broken the mold. Well... They only now have started really getting behind female superhero movies, which we talked a little bit in our show about. Um, in our you Black know, Widow episode. It's, uh, yeah, it's taken this long to produce a, one, a Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> and mind you, they did Black Panther right before they did Captain Marvel, about, a year, about two years before they did Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. And at the time, with both Captain Marvel and Black Panther, they... Marvel was was lauding and applauding and patting themselves on the back saying, look how progressive we are. <laughs> but our argument has always been, if you're that progressive, you should have started with Black Panther. Yeah. You shouldn't have started with Iron Man. If you're this progressive of a studio... And, and like you, a Black Widow have, movie, like taking this long to come out as well. Yeah, if you have this much confidence that you've turned around the market and made audiences want to see movies starring black people or movies starring women, then you should have started on that foot not do it 10 plus years into the whole series. <laughs> but that's just my own personal gripes. And of course, they, they weren't the first movie studio to do either a black-led superhero movie or even a female-led superhero movie. So, But they pretend to be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would like to see more diversity. That's why I watch... I don't really watch movies anymore. I mostly watch television shows because I find a lot more diversity there but I do still like yeah. your podcast guys keep it going <laughs> <laughs> thanks I really yeah, liked your Black Widow episode we actually. have to watch the movies <laughs> what's that I really liked your Black Widow episode actually uh, oh really good thank points. you thank yeah. you yeah I, I, I liked that you were outraged on behalf of Scarlett Johansson so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So women and minorities are still very underrepresented in the film industry, and that's bad for a few reasons. Um, I feel like a lot of them go without saying, but I will say them because it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you're underrepresented, and when you do get representation, a lot of the time, unfortunately, still, even in 2020, the representation is still often stereotypes, uh, mm -hmm. or they lead into biases. It reinforces gender and racial biases and stereotypes among, like, the mass of people that go to see these movies. And it, it's it's unconscious. Like, you just internalize this stuff because it's mm. stories are very important, especially Hollywood. People have higher self-esteem after seeing themselves represented positively on screen. They've done studies about this, and I will share them as well. But it's very upsetting for, like, a little black girl, maybe, who never sees herself represented in any Disney princess movies. Um, although, yeah. shout out to Princess and the Frog, a movie I do like. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Kyla, do you think, did you find anything on whether, like, is this, because you talked about the fact that the film industry is mostly like a, a monopoly. 
Um, and is that part of the reason why we don't get diverse stories or are people like unsure on why that happens? Honestly, nobody really wants to talk about it because it's deeply embarrassing, probably. Uh, sure. I couldn't really find... They'd rather I mean... stay with the safe and tested. Mm. They, they'd rather stick with what they know works rather than push the boundary or challenge anybody in the audience. Mm. So if, if the audience is challenges, there's a risk that uh, the movie won't make money, so they'd much rather just. It's play all about it that money. Yeah, yeah. Although it, it's it's shown a lots and lots of times that like if you do take risks, you often do make money. So I don't know, but there were mm-hmm. there were actually a whole bunch of leaked emails from execs from a studio. I can't remember which one right now, but basically but saying Disney and Fox. We don't want to. Oh, was it Fox? You guys know about this. Yeah, and, and Disney and Disney. Yeah, Disney and Fox saying that they didn't want to cast different people. Disney were in the middle of acquiring Fox at that point, so it was about that merger that the emails were were regarding. Do you guys know more about that? And what, what did the emails say? All sorts of things. Um, but the main ones were, I think we talked about it. No, we didn't talk about it in no, our show. Um, but the main point was that they didn't want to make a female-led superhero. This was back in 2015 that this was released. Mm. They didn't want to make a female-led superhero movie, Disney slash Marvel, that is, because of all the examples in the past of female-led superheroes that had failed. So they listed Catwoman as an example. They listed Supergirl and Elektra. Yeah. And they said that was the reason these movies failed, was because audiences don't Maybe want to see Maybe if you guys it. had made those movies good, they wouldn't have failed <laughs> Exactly, <so badly>. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so they sort of went out and said, oh, audiences don't want to see a female-led superhero movie, so we're not going to produce it because mm. it's not going to make money. It's because when they do make them, they don't invest anything in them, and then they come out bad, and then it's like, whose fault is that, Exactly, Disney? yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think a lot of it is just people at the top are often older dudes who are stuck in their ways. And so that's why diversity behind the camera is just as important, if not even more important than in front of the camera, because people making decisions get to decide who dresses 13 year olds sexy and mm. who casts, you know, female directors and composers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys want to say anything? Oh, actually, I do have one more point on this, and that's um, the Me Too movement and abuse in the industry. Mm. Uh, it comes, it just what I just said, it comes back to most of the people in power in the industry are men. Um, it's not to say women can't be abusers. Let's make the, uh, let's make the parody 50-50 <laughs> and then address that. <laughs> Women don't get as good of roles, so, like, it's harder yeah. for them to get in, and so they want to be more agreeable with creepy older dudes. I don't know. You can just – I'm not going to get into, like, the Weinstein case, but I think everyone knows abusing mm-hmm. the industry is rampant and horrible. Uh, and if there were more women in the back end, uh, it might not be as bad. Who knows? Let's try it and see. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you guys want to say anything else about equality in the industry? You guys talk about movies constantly. Is there anything you've kind of noticed? I mean, I think you covered a, a lot of it already. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's the all one stuff thing that, that I we appreciate noticed. about what you brought up was when they do portray minorities on screen, be it women, be it people of other races, or disabilities, or which I like disabilities. That you yeah, I think it's very important, and it comes back to the ethics, which I suppose is a major theme of your of your podcast (laughs) that um, it's not just good enough that you're representing people, but Mm. it's how you're representing people. So it's a real ethical choice of the filmmakers. And this is something that everybody who's making a movie, even the producers, even the producers should consider is what are you saying? It's not just enough to say Mm -hmm. it. It's what are you saying and who are you going to influence by saying it? 
So I think it's really important that everyone has that in mind, moving forward, making films. So, And yeah, it affects pe- how people see other people, which is always, you know, the, the opportunity for positivity. So it's, it's, not, it's not good enough to have a female-led superhero if at the same time you're going to sexualize the, mm. the female leading the superhero movie, not to call anyone out, <coughs> Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Who was, who's great or and deserved her movie as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Representation is super important, um, especially like if the only if you are living in a very small community that has no Latino people in it, and your only exposure to the Latin community is Through that they are movies. jobless immigrants then you're going to vote for a guy who's going to take care of it because yeah. you don't understand that actually it's a stereotype and not true. Yeah, absolutely. Can I can I plug something very quick that is a nice little example of, I guess, what we're talking about, which is there's a film company in Australia um, and a friend of mine sort of pointed me and pointed me to them um, to mention on this show, but they're called Bus Stop Films. And what they do is they work particularly with uh, people in sort of marginalized sections of society, particularly people with disabilities, giving them work on the film and also behind the behind the film camera as well. So they, you know, are a company that's interested in giving giving people opportunities like, you know, directing, writing, camera operating, uh, also people acting because a lot of these people are having trouble doing that stuff outside just in the normal industry. So that's a company that is sort of spearheading that, which is um, which I think is pretty cool, which would be nice to see yeah, more absolutely. of. Yeah. So Bus Stop Companies that's awesome. That's awesome. Was, was the name of that organization. And you can do you can look them up and have a look. I think they, they're a charity as well. So they get donations to, but that sort of leads into getting these people the opportunity to be a part of the film industry and create content that uh, we perhaps won't, don't see because, you know, we're only getting one voice. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I really like that. I think on that note, we'll close that section and I'm going to move <laughs> on to the environment. Are you guys ready right. to talk about the environment? Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm only going to talk about two aspects of the environment in this regard, because the film industry is massive and you could probably talk about like a whole bunch of different ways that it affects the environment. But the first thing I want to talk about is land use regarding filming on location. Mm. So often when studios go to locations to film and they are not cities, they're forests, they're mountains, they're deserts, whatever, they're often not super considerate of the land around them. Wildlife is disturbed, vegetation is trampled, and the land can be transformed. Game of Thrones got in trouble for trucking sand into a Maltese beach for Daenerys' wedding in season one. And this is for you guys. Mad Max Fury Road (laughs) received criticism (laughs) (laughs) for running roughshod over sensitive desert lands in Namibia. So, oh Jesus! <laughs> why are we being blamed for that? Because George Miller's Australian. Is that why we're being blamed for that? <laughs> you guys know what you did. <laughs> uh, filming on location can also cause sound and light pollution, uh, which can also disturb local wildlife and people. So, it's something that I would hope is getting better. But Mad Max Fury Road is a pretty new movie, so who knows? 
Yeah, that was only a few years ago. Yeah, and I think it's different depending on what country you're filming in as well, right? Like if you go to a country mm, with absolutely. fewer laws regarding that sort of thing, then it might be easier to just be kind of lazy about what you're doing. Another aspect of it as well, which I don't think you mentioned there, is the impact that tourism has on those oh, locations as a result yeah. of appearing in films. So a recent example that I can think of off the top of my head is that island that appeared in the new Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. If you remember the one with all the little that was with birds Luke, on it. wasn't it? Is that yeah, the one you're talking about? Luke Skywalker is like a, a hermit on an island. And this is a real island. I can't remember where it is. I think it's like in Iceland or somewhere like that. But this island was untouched for years. There was no tourism allowed on the island whatsoever. And then, of course, it's getting all this exposure through the massively popular Star Wars movies. And now all these people want to travel there. They're taking illegal methods to actually travel there and, you know, take selfies in the same spot that, you know, Luke Skywalker was drinking milk out of an alien's udder. (laughs) And so you're having these locations which are not only affected by the filming of the movie, but they're being consistently affected by people who want to go there and live in the movie and see the locations as well. And that can last forever. Just buy yourself a lightsaber, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Just buy yourself a lightsaber. And a Porg toy. And a Porg toy. <laughs> yeah, well, and another great, that's a really good point. And another great example of that is what was that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, The Beach? And now there's a really famous beach in Thailand that's just closed because tourists yeah. absolutely mm. trashed it's it. Maya Bay. Believe oh, it or not, geez. I was actually there two months ago and they talked all about this. <laughs> in Maya Bay in the, I can't remember the name of the islands, but they're famous islands. They've appeared in a whole bunch of movies. But there was a little bay called Maya Bay in amongst there. And it was just basically being decimated by being trampled by tourists constantly. So they've finally done the right thing and shut it down in the last year or so, which I think is a great thing. But it's a shame that they had to do that in the first place. That's crazy. Yeah. And this is, mind you, a a location that you can only get to by traveling more than an hour on boat as well. So... (laughs) (laughs) If it wasn't being exposed in these movies, people wouldn't be going there in the first place. Yeah. So filming on location has a few problems, as we've outlined. There's not really a solution here, you know, (laughs) Uh, other than push. I don't know. Everyone become a producer and be better at doing our filming locations. I don't know. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting thing to uh, point out in regards to the environment. Okay, so we're going to move on to waste and carbon emissions. So look, oh, no. the, the film industry is hella wasteful. I think just like everything else, that kind of goes without saying. Although I guess now is a good time for me to mention that I've done a lot of background acting like in movies. So maybe my how I see the industry is a little bit different than other people. And what I think goes without saying doesn't go without saying. So I'll say it. <laughs> <You're sure>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like plastic water bottles... Food, paper, sets, costumes, props. None of this accounts for like merchandising either. So like toys, you know. Yeah. That's a whole other industry that is an offshoot of like, you know, everyone needs the new Baby Yoda doll, which to be fair, (laughs) Baby Yoda, hella cute. But a lot of this stuff just goes straight to landfill, you know? I I don't want to spend too much time on this one because it's upsetting. I didn't find too many stats, uh, but I've been on sets and they're super wasteful. But I did find a really cool page on creativebc.com and anyone in the production industry should check it out for an awesome list of suggestions on how to be greener, which I have utilized a little bit in my movie plot that we'll do at the end. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but there's a lot of little things that they can do. Like just switch to don't give out water bottles on set, you know, like make people bring their own reusable yeah. bottles. That'd be so easy. Yeah. Or give out plastic cups and have a big tank full of water that yeah. everyone can sip from. Yeah. And a lot of movies are doing that. And I think <laughs> oh it was God. Spider-Man 2 received like an award a few years ago for being like the oh, really? movie one? ever made. Which, which one of great, the three Spider-Man 2s was it? That's a great question. I think it was the middle one. I think it was the Andrew Garfield one, but I... Oh, uh, the Andrew Garfield one. I can't really? remember. I might be giving credit where it's not due. Maybe it's the newest one. That's I awesome though. I thought, yeah. But I saw that and I was like, oh, that's cool. So like... I, and I think as people discuss climate change more, like in the last, I don't know about you guys, but in the last year and a half, I've really felt the conversation ramp up. And I feel like Hollywood yeah. really prides itself on being leftist. And so hopefully that translates. There's a really good source on Creative BC they can use. <laughs> the uh, the Oscars were uh, vegan-cated this year, right? That, that's no, right, right? it was right? the Golden Globes. Oh, it was yeah, the Golden was Globes. Jack, Globes. Uh, Sorry, Jacqueline right. Phoenix? I can't ever say his name. Joaquin Phoenix. That's it. Joaquin. Joaquin, Joaquin. I, I fixed Phoenix. it. I got it. I got it in the end. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to carbon emissions, it's also not super great. Uh, here's a quote from a great Vice article that I will also link to. According to BAFTA, the British film organization, a single hour of television produced in the UK, fiction or nonfiction, produces... 13 metric tons of carbon dioxide. That's nearly as much CO2 wow. as an average American generates in a year. That's for a single hour of television. Oh my God. Do you have any idea why? No, I have no idea why. Probably just like, you know, they have to shuttle extras around to set. Right. They have yeah. to There's probably fly a lot of vehicles in. and generators on set as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so many generators on set as well. Like all the lights you have to yeah, power. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you have to feed everybody. If you have one scene with background actors in it, uh, it could take... Well, I was on the set of um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I was in like oh, the really? scene where they played We Will Rock You. And it was 16 hours. It was a 16-hour day mm, for a wow. three-minute song. You know what I mean? And so like they had to feed... There was 200 of us there. They had to feed us. They had to keep us warm. They had to give us all costumes. It adds and up, I mean, I guess. given that we'll have just released the fast fashion episode when this one comes out, uh, I wonder how many of those costumes just end up in landfill after being worn once. Yeah, I'm guessing that's going to be a fun episode. Oh my god, it's so depressing. It's <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I cried oh, in the episode. I had to like mute my sniffles for the rest oh. of the episode after Kristen <laughs> talked about a factory explosion. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm going to keep going on that quote here. Uh, a 2006 UCLA study found that the California film and television industry created 8.4 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. The number for the U.S. film and TV industry as a whole was 15 million tons. So that was that was from 2006. Uh, I can't imagine it's that much better. It might even be worse <laughs> yeah. because everything seems to be getting worse. But that's just me making things up. Who knows? <laughs> I was just wondering how many takes they did of when the Joker burnt that huge pile of money in the Dark Knight. Yeah, like how much fake money do <laughs> did they do you think they went through? That's a good point. And also, I was just thinking about in Apocalypse Now as well when they used real napalm on forests. Oh man, really? Yeah, just because they they didn't think that the visual effects would look convincing. So if they, they napalmed the forest. <laughs> yeah, they they really napalmed a forest. Jesus. So. And I'm sure they did more than one take too. <laughs> The opening shot of the film is a forest being napalmed. Well, every time an action movie has a car chase or an explosion, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And they're being made every day of every week of every year, continuously. 
That's a funny image, just continuous car chases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One long episode of Mannix. <laughs> well, I feel like this is getting a little heavy. Are you guys ready to move on to lighter and brighter pastures? Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> I thought we'd already talked about lighting. <laughs> hey, what oh. a lame joke. <laughs> you guys are in for a treat, because guess what we're talking about next? Animal welfare. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. Can, can I just say, your uh, your animal episode uh, that you did, what was the, it was, I think it was the vegetarian, vegan, vegetarian and vegan episode. I was like so traumatized by the end of it because I'm I'm a vegetarian, but I, I like there was oh, stuff and there. the animal testing in the yeah there was the stuff there that episode, I didn't know. Yeah. I was like, what? Mm. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I recently found out as well that they still test on monkeys here in Australia, right here in Sydney, because oh. a couple escaped the other day. Oh yeah, they escaped they escaped captivity and were running around yeah. and they captured them, and I didn't realize until then that they still did that here. Yeah. It's insane. All the stuff you said about the cosmetics industry as well, yeah. like, traumatized me. That's what I was Ugh. thinking of. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> back to the more darker being, stuff. Being killed and mistreated. <laughs> Kyla, is movie, are movies better? <laughs> I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Your guys' industry, you know, mm. your podcast. Our industry, on. yeah. Yeah. The industry we own. Don't blame us again. It's not our fault They're again. They're just personally harming animals every every episode. Soz, guys. Gotta make the movies, though. We're not making them. Look, I will say that it's hard to be worse than the cosmetic testing industry. Yeah, sure. So, and if anyone wants to know why, you can go listen to our cruelty-free episode. But th- it's still not super good. The first thing I want to point out is very similar to what Kieran was saying about the uh, location filming. Sometimes when animals are featured in a film, it creates a demand for them. So like Harry Potter Absolutely. created a demand for snowy owls in Indonesia that mm. has caused problems. So I'll share a link on that. But Clownfish in Finding Nemo. Oh, And that yeah. wasn't just in one isolated country. That was worldwide. Everyone wanted a clownfish after Finding Nemo. Oh, really? Yeah. They were actually... The clownfish population was actually damaged by so many people going out and farming them, really? essentially, for sale of pets. Yeah, absolutely. Jeez. Um, but the main thing about animal rights that I do want to talk about, everyone knows the familiar message at the end of credits, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. Yeah. Well, it turns out that that is super dubious. What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. The American Humane Association, or AHA, started monitoring movies in the 1940s after a horse was killed in the 1939 film Jesse James. A stuntman and the horse were sent over a 70-foot cliff into a river. The stuntman was fine, but the horse broke its back and died. Oh, this caused a public outrage, and people demanded that there be some oversight, which is when the AHA stepped in. So it was in the 19. It was in the 19. It was in 1940. Right. When it was established. It was a good thing for the industry, and I'm sure it continues to do good work, but it's not perfect. I had trouble finding anything super recent, and a lot of the information I could find was sourced from an article by The Hollywood Reporter from 2013, so I hope things are improving. But it's been less than a decade since the big reports were out, so it's important to discuss, especially Mm -hmm. since I couldn't find anything saying that it had gotten better. There's not a lot of reporting on this, actually, to be honest. I had a hard time finding stats on this, but... Do you think people just accept that disclaimer? Yeah. So, yeah. So let me just tell you a little bit more about that tag. Uh, People, films can earn it, even if an animal was hurt or even killed, as long as it was an accident or happened while the cameras were not rolling, or proper (laughs) procedures had been followed, but the animal was hurt anyway. But they weren't harmed on purpose, Maddie. Oh, God. (laughs) It was an accident, we promise. 
So from that article by The Hollywood Reporter, for example, Disney's Eight Below was awarded the end credit despite a March 21st, 2005 incident report that noted the hero dog seriously got into a fight with two other dogs. The trainer beat the dog harshly, oh which included five punches to its diaphragm. Our rep spoke to him about this, Aww. and he expressed that he had no choice. The office instructed the rep to pull the dog. In its statement to The Hollywood Reporter, the AHA says the trainer had to use force to break up the fight. As a result, the dogs were not injured. The AHA rep also asked for more trainers to be on set. But they still got the tag, even though there had been problems oh on my set. God. That, like, resulted in a dog being beaten. beaten. up. Yeah. Yeah. What else is, like, getting passed? Oh, do you want to tell? Oh, I do yeah. want to tell you. <laughs> I don't know if Please. I want to know. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> on another Disney project, 2008's The Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, horses repeatedly were pulled from production for lameness and injuries. AHA internal database notes from June 23, 2007 show that 14 were out of commission at once, with problems ranging from a sore tail and a sore back to a wound on nose. Yet the production still received the No Animals Were Harmed disclaimer. According to AHA's statement... To The Hollywood Reporter, the end credit was justified because none of the injuries were serious and none were due to intentional harm. Right. Right. I mean... Like, they still got injured, so why do they get the yeah, tag, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm noticing that, like, injury and harm, uh, there's somehow, somehow a difference between that. Yeah, also, sometimes, sometimes movies just put the disclaimer in their credits, even if the AHA wasn't there. So what? usually the AHA will send a cease and desist if they are made aware of this, but they also have like a list of films on their website that did have oversight, so audience members can double check, and I'll link to that. The oversight happens only while filming takes place and doesn't account for how the animals were trained or how they are treated off screen. Yeah, off screen. Whoa. How are the trainers treating them? Also, the American Humane Association, who is responsible for approving that message and overseeing the filming, is a non-profit and too small to look further into animal treatment or do much if they do see something wrong. So people are putting the tag on mm. without their oversight. The tag is being put on with their oversight, even with maybe questionable, like maybe they shouldn't be putting it on. And even if there is a problem, the AHA is a tiny nonprofit organization that actually doesn't have very much control or oversight. Wow. Cool, right? <laughs> so if, if, a movie, if a movie gets proven that they, they did cause, for example, because you said they, they list on the websites, uh, they list on their website movies that did actually harm animals, but they still get the disclaimer, right? Does that disclaimer get pulled from the movie? Afterwards? No. No? Well, it depends. If the AHA granted it, then they can just keep it. That's like um, in the factory farming industry, um, cruelty only counts if it's not industry practice. Um, but like realistically, basically everything is cruel and, and just the entire industry has decided they're doing the same thing. So a lot of the times these words don't really mean anything. Yeah. Um, and so like I said at the beginning, hopefully things are improving. I saw a report. I don't know how trustworthy it is. A lot of the sources that I had were not my favorite, <laughs> but I did see someone saying that the AHA a lot of the time is funded by the film industry. So they're overseeing oh. the people who are paying them which is also a conflict of interest. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't wow. know that that's true, but I did see that claim come up a couple times. So I think it's probably worth mentioning here just in case. 
I'm sure it's getting better though, because most animals are CGI these days. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's actually must really good. easier to get animals to do what you want because you're just computer generating them. Yeah, well, and that's that's probably that's part of the problem with the AHA is that like it doesn't account for any harm that comes to the animals while they're being trained, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And who knows how they're being treated by their trainers in captivity and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Especially if they're filming in countries that are a little bit like maybe don't have the same standards as we do for animal treatment. So who knows? And it is definitely getting better because, of course, throughout history, we've had some pretty appalling acts against animals, which, oh, of course, yes. by law, can no longer occur. I think due to the animal, uh, due to the animal Welfare Act, I think, in the US, or it might be a global initiative, I'm not sure, but... Uh, you mentioned was it you mentioned Jesse James earlier where one horse was killed. Were people not in an uproar when over a hundred horses were killed in Ben Hur <laughs> yeah. during the were they? Oh yeah, the chariot Absolutely. race. Absolutely, really. Yes. Yeah, really? I, I'm, I think they're either injured, but they may have been killed. Oh, a lot of them for sure died. But then, of course, I can think of another example in Heaven's Gate where it was a big battle scene and they wanted to depict a horse being blown up by a cannon. So they're like, how are we going to show that on film? I know, let's strap dynamite to a horse Jesus. and blow it up. Oh, my God. That's worthwhile. That was like <laughs> done in like 2000 and something, wasn't it? No, that was like 70s. Oh, okay. I'm thinking and of something Speaking else. of the 70s, of course, we barely need to mention Cannibal Holocaust, one of the worst films yeah. I've ever seen where the entire premise of the movie is let's go into the jungle and torture animals for an hour on camera that sounds wow. like a snuff film it is, it is. but for animals <laughs> so yeah uh, I wouldn't recommend anybody watch any of those movies that I mentioned specifically <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust though because that one is really really thanks bad. for the PSA <laughs> yeah I think it's been banned in most countries because of that and well, that's something. most modern releases they'll cut out the explicit animal cruelty as well that, that's it. But still don't watch the movie. Still don't watch it. <laughs> okay, so that brings me to my very last problem with Hollywood, uh, which is, of course, child actors. Um, mm. There are some issues of here. Yay. I didn't, again, I found a really, I found, like, I don't know if Kristen always struggles with her research, but I had a really hard time. I found mostly anecdotal evidence in regards to this, but also Hollywood is a huge industry and maybe right. cover-ups are really, like, NDAs sure, are yeah. a thing, right? So mm. maybe... It's hard to get stats on this, but there are, well, there are some protections, uh, like, and a child actor needs to have, especially in the, in the United States, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but, uh, uh, or Canada, really, but I'm sure it's not <laughs> that different. There, there are rules in place where a certain percentage, I think it's like 15% of a child actor's earnings must be put into a savings account for that child for when they turn 18 or whatever the right, age is. Yeah. But if you are... A performer on YouTube, there are no protections for you. <laughs> of course wow. not. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of exploitation happening on YouTube, but we're not talking about YouTube. We're talking about Hollywood. I just found that That's and right. was very upset and thought I would mention it here. Yet another yeah. reason not to like YouTube. <laughs> oh, said like true older millennials. <laughs> I don't understand YouTube. <laughs> We are not hip with the kids. Um, isn't it also a fact that children can only work a certain number of hours a day on Hollywood productions? Like, I think they're only limited to, like, say, four hours. And I don't think they can shoot at nighttime unless they have, like, special permissions. Yes. And I think Matt was saying off air as well that I think they have to have access to schooling resources yeah, they, like, while they're, they're bring, filming. Yeah, they support their so schooling. So if they're on set for a really long time, they have to be able to... Con 
they have to be able to further their education in the yeah, best. So they like have oh, tutors nice. and stuff on set. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, from what we understand. Yeah, no, and that's that's true. And so that's part of what makes the modern film industry a lot better than maybe the days of Shirley Temple and burlesque babies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not too much better because we had people like Lindsay Lohan and Amanda Bynes. And Amanda Bynes, yeah, yeah, who grew up just basically being abused in every different way imaginable. And now, as adults, they can't even get work because for several years, the media has been portraying them as complete train wrecks throughout their entire adolescence. As if it's their fault. And so their whole reputation has been completely destroyed. Mm. As you say, as if it's their own fault. Yeah. Because they've had breakdowns because of years and years yeah. of mistreatment. Yeah, what's his name? Corey Feldman was a big of course. advocate yeah, of for course. a lot of the abuse that was happening in Hollywood and he kind of got blacklisted because he was speaking out about it. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard about what Corey Feldman was talking about, but on the set of Stand By Me, I believe, um, the kids there were basically treated like adults because the movie, I suppose, in a way, is presenting their journey from childhood to adulthood. I guess for some reason the director or the producers decided, oh, let's treat them as adults on the set as well. So all of the child actors in that movie, I think, oh, well, at least... River Phoenix, Joaquin's brother, and we know what happened to him. Corey Feldman. They both got drunk for the first time behind the scenes. They both lost their virginity behind the scenes, and they also did drugs for the first time behind the scenes. And this was before they were even really in high school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a lot of what I was seeing as well. I mean, it's something that I feel like a lot of people know. Abuse within the industry. I mean, it's hard to find numbers on this. Almost everything that you hear is anecdotal, but there is certainly enough anecdotal evidence to make you uncomfortable with the practice of using children in movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, uh, part of the problem is parents. Like, you get some really good parents, but then you get some really wild ones as well. And, I mean, that happens whether or not you're famous, but when you put that, like public lens on it as well, it just makes it so much worse, which actually leads me to my next point, which is that modern media makes things worse. Uh, do you guys know Mara Wilson? No. No. Yes, from... Yeah, um, Kieran knows. She was Matilda. Matilda, yeah, and Matilda. Oh, Matilda. Yeah. yeah. And Mrs. Doubtfire and Miracle on 34th yeah, Street. For a while, her. she was the little darling of Hollywood. She was super cute. She got out of it pretty much unscathed. She's a writer now, and uh, she wrote a really good piece for Cracked.com uh, back in 2013 that I will share. But it basically discusses what her experience within the industry was, which is not great. But she makes a really good point where her parents and her agent would screen her fan letters before she read them. So she didn't get all of the really weird stuff. Oh. But obviously nowadays... Everyone's locked into the media like all the time. Like they're always on yeah. Instagram. They're always on Twitter. They're always on what's what are the kids doing now? Snapchat, <laughs> TikTok, TikTok, <laughs> TikTok's the new one, right? Yeah, and Twitch. there's this there's this need to be constantly plugged in and to be constantly creating content that I'm sure they love doing. Like the kids from Stranger Things are actually a really good example of this. They're really, they have a really amazing online presence, but it means that they're That's right. always online and they're constantly mm. worried about like creating content for their fans. And it's just a lot of like, as somebody who has trouble posting once a day, Kristen knows, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's just, it's so much work to put on a kid to be like maintaining their own brand like that. Yeah. And the pressure of, like, doing something wrong or, or staying yeah. popular. Thank yeah. God the internet wasn't around. But, like, I was... Oh, my <laughs> God, yes. 
<laughs> like, thank God MySpace and like all of the social media platforms I was hanging out on, they're gone now. So like, there's no record yeah. of that. <laughs> well, yeah, could be point. a terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad as well. Okay, well, I'm going to uplift us a little bit. And this is for real. This isn't a trick. Yes. This isn't a psych out. Please. This is really nice stuff. <laughs> Please. So uh, do you guys want to know what happened to the kid from The Shining? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, he's a biology teacher now hey. at a college in like, oh. yeah, a small state. Yeah. Same thing for Newt from Aliens, the second Alien movie. She grew up to be a teacher. Yeah. I think Aliens was the only movie that the actor who played Newt ever appeared in. And so she just went off to be, I don't know, a really well-respected teacher afterwards. Her story is actually kind of bonkers. It, she was sitting in like her school cafeteria and a that's talent right. scout took a yeah, photo right. of her from like across the room. And then they like brought her in for an in, for like an audition, and and so she's like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll do this. And then afterwards, she's like, cool, I never wanted to be an actor, so I'm done now. <laughs> That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. And I know Joffrey Baratheon, that character, that actor, did this something similar. I, th- I love when child actors are like, cool, I did it, and I just don't need to go down that path. I'm gonna do something mm-hmm. cool now. Yeah. So. Uh, just to end all of my research that I did on this, which is, again, I, it was meant to be lighthearted, but it was kind of depressing. Sorry, boys. Uh, but what can consumers do? This industry is very far removed from us. And unless you become a producer, there's not a lot you can do except don't support bad movies, which you guys, I mean, your whole show is that you have to go support bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, we else. have to go support all <laughs> movies. Not all of them are bad or as bad as... Maybe just start pirating the ones that yeah. are like not unethical. What do you mean start? <laughs> <laughs> Don't pirate good movies. Yes. That's yes. the other thing yeah. you can do. If you see a movie coming out that looks like it's you know got representation and in front of them behind the camera, don't pirate it. Go out and see it. Uh, and then don't go out and see the movies that are not doing that. You can pirate those ones. <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's hard when over 50% of box office earnings are going to the two biggest studios. But I mean, we were just talking to an activist yesterday who was making a really good point that boycotts work. Yeah, you know, that is true. And I mean, Hollywood is at least being more vocal about these issues, uh, whether they're following it or not, which means that, you know, social pressures do matter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So are you guys ready to move on to our challenges? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Let's do Okay, so the first one I want to talk about, I know Matt and I were talking, you were really struggling with this. And this was, because I gave you guys two challenges, because we there's two of you. Uh, <laughs> twice as many podcasters, <laughs> twice as many challenges. The first challenge was to go out and watch an independent film. So how did you do? So we found this yeah. really hard. We thought hard. it sounded easy. We, we were like, oh, this is easy. There's so many independent cinemas mm. around in our local area. There's so many that we could go to. But would you believe it? None of them really show independent movies yeah. at these independent hmm. cinemas. So they show Hollywood movies, but just in an independent setting. So they show movies from not just current ones, but movies from all throughout history, rather than just what's currently screening yeah it's almost like people consider they claim it's an independent movie or an indie movie by just being an artistic movie but yeah. it's not really independently made at all so they're came- claiming mm. that toy story 4 is an independent movie by the way <laughs> i'm not joking what? if you look up Who's if you look up top claim? independent movies of 2019 toy story 4 is listed as one of those independent movies by what metric well i that? guess because it's not a major studio you wouldn't consider pixar yeah. a major studio that would be my guess but i don't actually know why yeah. So in Australia, what I found was that we do have an independent movie 
industry, I guess, but a lot of the time it gets shown at festivals rather That's than right. released. So it's really hard mm. to get to or get for us to get private movies. screenings. Exactly, or private screenings, yeah. And a lot of the time they're kind of trying to push these movies out to project their career um, and, you know, get their name out. So it's really, it was really hard for us to find a lot. So what did you end up watching? Oh, yeah. So we ended up watching two movies, actually. We found two independent movies. The first movie we watched was an old movie from... What, what, 1975. 1975. Which You've we'll, probably heard of it. Which we'll talk about in a second because yeah. they actually made a Netflix special based on the making of the movie and it's called uh, Dolomite. Yeah, Dolomite. Um, mm. The other movie, because we watched it and it was kind of an old movie and we were kind of really wanting to support local industry. So That's we're right. really trying hard to find an Australian-made independent movie. So we watched Dolomite and we watched a movie called Lead Me Astray, which is done by an up-and-coming production company called Bendy Spoon Productions is their name, which I love their name. <laughs> that's a fun name. <laughs> and, I like that. And it was kind of a horror-based movie. And they've actually got another movie that's going to be coming out mid-2020 called Sweetheart, I believe. I think that's it. And um, yeah, so we watched. We actually watched two movies for this. So we ended up really struggling. And we ended up walking away with two movies there. Because we just wanted to make sure all bases were covered yeah. by the, the umbrella <laughs> term of independent movie. Yeah. <laughs> were they good? Did you like them? Well... I really enjoyed Lead Me Astray. That was kind of fun. We Yeah, I liked it on a technical level. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. We, um... <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean like the like the cinematography? I'm just throwing out terms I don't know. Cinematography was good. The composition of the shots was good. The lighting was good. I don't want to badmouth the movie because I know Matty D has personal connections yeah. with the people who made it. But let's just who will be listening say to the show, it, it definitely was an independent movie by every meaning of the word. But I don't think it's going to run like the can circuit. But for what it was, it was excellent. We enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. And um, the other movie that we watched, Dolomite, of course, I can safely say with no hesitation, was a terrible movie. Oh, my God, it was bad. <laughs> Although I really did enjoy watching it, though. Yes, yes. I think we laughed from start to finish. And the yeah. whole reason that that came to my attention was because of the Netflix special Dolomite Is My Name, which was the Eddie Murphy picture, which I think came out late last year. Mm. But I found out about the making of that movie through that Netflix movie. Yes. And then, of course, I was like, well, that's that's the definition of an independent <laughs> movie. It was just one guy who had an idea, used his own money to make a film with his friends. In his bedroom. In his bedroom, basically. And it's a beloved movie and helped push forward the, the well, not well, it helped push forward independent black movie makers. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because he was doing it at a time, Kieran was telling me, I don't want to steal your point. No, it's but all good. At a time where there wasn't sort of black people represented in cinema too too well. Or when mm. they were being represented, it wasn't in a positive way. Yeah. So well, I wouldn't say that Dolomite was representing them in a positive way, but at least they were the ones saying it. Yeah. It was <laughs> It was definitely a movie we had to crack a few beers for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If we are in Canada, we might have been smoking it up, but... Since we can't, it was beers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, and I know you guys are above the law, so that's fine. Of course, of course. As podcasters, we can get away with any everything. Yeah. <laughs> this segues really well into Kristen's yeah, movie. It does actually. Which was about drugs. <laughs> oh wow, we're going straight into it. Yeah. So um I mean I think Kyla and we both ended up watching documentaries, didn't we? Which Oh. Yeah. I didn't even consider watching a documentary. <laughs> I had Kind of been wanting to watch this already. Um, there's a documentary called Fantastic Fungi, which uh, 
It has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but it only has like seventeen oh. ratings. So I feel like both of those <laughs> things really say count. a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, Toronto has this um, this charity organization that does a documentary film festival throughout the year, um, and then they also have a cinema that's just sort of freestanding, and they they run documentaries all the time. So it was pretty easy to be able to get like an independent documentary, but doing like a, a film that would have been fiction would have been a lot harder. So I decided to watch Fantastic Fungi and uh, it was weird. <laughs> it was a very weird movie. <laughs> um, it gave me whiplash a lot because they like, they sort of oscillated between it being like a nature documentary where they're just showing like nice close-ups of mushrooms and talking about science to suddenly they'd have this guy in a tie-dye shirt talking about how like, um, he's had this spiritual experience on mushrooms to like this parade that's going on. And like, they're making all these different points. So <laughs> I was not really sure what to think of it. But, <laughs> but at the end of it, Kristen I was convinced that, yeah, I would like to try mushrooms now based on watching this because oh, no, it I meant sounds like, awesome. She likes boring, normal mushrooms. It's like her favorite thing. I Whoa, also like boring, boring mu- normal, normal mushrooms. mushrooms are the that best. is true. So no trip to Amsterdam planned anytime soon. <laughs> Like we went for a hike in Newfoundland and she was like, oh, this is this type of mushroom. And I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, Okay. And then my movie was also a documentary. It was about protecting whales in First Nations land in uh, northern BC in Canada. And it was beautiful. Holy smokes. Like the cinematography was bonkers. It was so Mm. good. And it was a collaboration between Germany and Canada. And it followed two uh, whale researchers um, up in up up there. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, It made me really angry about freighters in the oil industry. But otherwise, it was gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the freighters, they can't, um, whales can't communicate with each other and they got lost, right? And they get headaches and like they get hit by the freighters and die. Aww. So yeah, lots oh, of wow. reasons that it sucks. Yeah. Everyone should go watch this documentary. It was called The Whale and the Raven or The Raven and the Whale. <laughs> One of those two. Take a pick. Where does the raven fit into it? Uh, the two researchers that the story follows were adopted by First Nations tribes and th- those were the names they were given. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a really good title. I love that you picked, like, the most British Columbia movie you could possibly have found. <laughs> Look, I've only been here for six months, but I am deeply patriotic to my province. <laughs> yes. I just want to say just quickly that the that the Lead Me Astray movie that we uh, watched, you can get that on a streaming service an called... Australian, Oz- an Australian streaming service. Yeah, called Ozflix that... Would have been helpful if we knew this beforehand, but apparently yeah. does independent <laughs> Australian film. So if you're interested in accessing, it does other Australian film, but if your listeners are interested in seeing independent Australian film and want to know where to access it, because I know we had so much trouble, you can yeah. subscribe to this site. It's free. You just pay for the movie. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. It also gives a platform to Australian movies that might not get a DVD release yeah. or a physical release. So I think it's really good for any sort of independent filmmakers in our country that are trying to find somewhere to actually show their film if they can't get into a cinema either, I suppose. Mm. And again, it, would, it was information that would have been helpful <laughs> <laughs> like a week ago. Hello, Future Kyla here. This episode ran a little long, so we're going to release the last approximately 40 minutes of this episode as a bonus later in this week. So... You can probably tell based on how we were speaking that this was recorded in February, uh, well before 
COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. So, of course, since we've recorded this, the film industry has shut down, uh, including cancelling new releases. So it'll be interesting to see if a lot of the points that we made in this episode do end up changing drastically because of this. So uh, just a, a little disclaimer here that this was this was recorded in February. But we still really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a fun listen. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to talk to us, you can get us on Twitter at Pullback Podcast. If you want to follow potential spoilers, they are on all of the podcasting platforms that we are on. Just like everyone else this week, our call to action is to practice social distancing. <laughs> ah... I think Aliens was the only movie that the actor that the actor who played Newt was ever. Yeah, I think. Let me say that again. I think Aliens was the. I think Aliens was the only. Oh, fuck the neighbors back. <laughs> yeah. That tap is really loud. Yeah, I know, right? I know it's the worst. And and this guy, I swear, he has like a pool or something. You're shouting. Because yeah, because fuck this guy. <laughs> fuck this guy, Kieran. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Back to my point. Back to my point.